Well, this is, uh, how many of you are like me? This is the first time you've been in this room. Uh, this is my first time here. Anybody else? Awesome. Is this not great? Uh, last time I was with you guys, it was in a uh, middle school auditorium. Um, I love this place. I love the, the vertical Jenga game going on back there. That's awesome. And, and, and Brandon, did you have some death threats or something? Is that why you have the, the bulletproof glass? So that's, that's awesome. But uh, I, I got to say, as, as Rhonda was sharing the prayer request, it just hit very close to home with me. And, and this morning, I just want to tell a story, really. And if you have the bulletin, I want to encourage you to jot down just the verse references that I'm going to share. I'm going to share some essentials that God has been teaching me through the story of my life in the past few months. But if you write these verses down, I encourage you to do that because this week, if you'll go back and you'll look through them, I guarantee that one of those will jump out, hit you, and God will literally intimately say that was for you for what you're going through, whatever that is, I don't know. But I've got to take you back. About four and a half months ago, I was actually speaking at my church. I fill in for the pastor when he's not there, and we were talking about Nehemiah. And one of the pieces that really hit me was is that when we really get honest and we really get secure in our relationship with God, one of the indicators will be that we're free to ask God what's broken in my life that you might want to fix? What's broken that you want to address? And I shared that, and I challenged uh, our church to say, this week, if, if you really get to that point where you're like, okay, God, what's broken in me? Pray that and ask him, and just write down whatever comes to your mind, whatever reoccurs or whatnot. I did not know that in my life it was going to be something physical. Um, We were having dinner with a couple couples that are friends of ours, and just talking about life in general, and and I'll not forget, one of my friends is a doctor, and uh, I'll call him Ryan, because that's his name, and uh, Ryan, Ryan said, what's going on with you, man, you're in great shape, and I said, yeah, but you know what's weird is I've been feeling fatigued lately, and I can't put my finger on it, and it's kind of bugging me, and he says, well, do you have a appointment coming up? I said, yeah, it's in January, but is there any way I can just swing by and you can run some tests and just tell me I'm getting old? And he said, yeah, yeah, come on by this week. So I went by and I sat in the waiting room and he ran some tests and he said, you know what? Um, I looked at all the results and uh, you're getting old. That's what it is. He said, but there's this one test you can take. He says, you don't qualify because there's 10 questions they're going to ask you and it's going to be, are you overweight? Are you diabetic? Do you have this and this? And he says, you're not going to qualify, but I'll write a prescription for it if you want to take it. It's just a scan. And I said, will you do that? Because I just want a piece of paper that tells me this is all in my mind. I'm fine. So he did that. Now, Fast forward about a week and a half, I am on the road. For those of you who don't know me, uh, if you ever listen to satellite radio on the comedy channel and Ken with two ends goes by, that's me. I do stand-up comedy for a living, and it's, I, I just love doing it. I'm on tour. I'm literally about 10 minutes from walking on stage when I get a call from my friend Ryan. He goes, hey, how's it going? I'm like, good. I said, how's it going? What are you up to this weekend? He said, well, I'm going to the game and this. He says, but I just want to give you a call. I got your test results back. Now, it's Friday night. I'm about to walk on stage. I'm like, okay, well, what, what, what were they? And he says, well, remember I told you zero is the number you want. It's kind of like golf. And uh, zero is the number you want. Nine, zero to nine is okay, but 10 to 20, that, that's concerning. You need to see a cardiologist. 
And I said, well, let me guess, since it's Friday night and you're calling me, mine must be 20. He said, no. He said, uh, I really don't know how to read it. He says, your number is 697. And I'm like, so I'm dead and I just don't know it? I mean, what does that mean? And he said, I, I don't know. I'm not a cardiologist. He said, but let me read the comments. He says, this heart, the comments read, this heart is in the bottom 2% of all hearts. And uh, this is my favorite part. A cardiac episode is imminent. And I'm like, okay. And he said, I would go see a cardiologist when you get back. And I'm like, you think? And uh, so... I go see a cardiologist, and the cardiologist, he looks at me, he looks at me, he's like, I said, okay, what does that look for? And he goes, I've never seen a number this high before. And he says, if you have a number this high, you should weigh 400 pounds, be a chain smoker, and have a beer in each hand. And I was like, and yet I don't. And he goes, that doesn't make sense. Let's run some tests. They ran one test, an echo, it came back perfect. And then I ran an echo, uh, a stress test. On Wednesday, I had gone to the gym, rode my bike. I ride a mile to the gym. I do my workout. It's 45 minutes, cardio, some weights, ride my bike home. I had lunch with a friend, went to do the stress test. And when they did the stress test, they laid me down, and they started flipping out. And they're just like, oh, okay, how much pain are you in right now? And I'm like, literally, look, just like this, I'm like, zero. And they're like, that's not possible. And I'm like, do I look like I'm lying? And they're just like, no, but um, uh, you just, just relax. And I'm like... I was <laughs> until just now, and they ran out, and they, they got the doctor, and he showed me the screen, and, and I'm not a cardiologist, but I looked, and I was like, wow, I don't think the heart's supposed to look like that, and he said, it's not. That tells me there's something major wrong, and we got to deal with it now. He said, uh, your blood pressure's come down. How early can you get here tomorrow to the hospital? And I said, well, when are you getting there? He said, uh, I'm getting there at 9.30. I said, I'll be there at 9 o'clock. And uh, so I got there, and I've got a little scar on my wrist where they did a, a cath, where they go in through your artery into your heart. And he told me, I'm going to put you out. I'm going to go in. I'm going to take a look. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to put in a stent or two and take care of it. I woke up about 60, 70 minutes later, and he said, I'm really sorry. And he showed me the screen, and he said, I can't come close to touching this. He says, we're going to admit you. We're going to put you into the, uh, the critical care unit. You have major blockage in every artery of your heart. There's, you have to have emergency open heart surgery. Now, I was riding my bike the day before, working out, feeling fine. And now I'm in the critical care unit. And uh, the doctor would come back after the test the thoracic surgeon came in, did not tell me this. I was getting some more tests. He told my wife, he says, your husband, has, you have four major arteries in your heart. He said, all four of your husbands are over 99% blocked. Now, in case you're not good with math, there's not a lot left after 99%. Now, some of you are looking concerned, so I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending for you. I made it, okay? So <laughs> you can relax and just kind of get the story, but... As I sat there in this hospital room, I had basically 16 hours between the failed cath and open heart surgery. And a lot went through my mind at that point. But what I discovered through that, and I have to say this, you can imagine how overwhelming that would be. That my heart is turns out to be genetic crap. And it is blocked. And circumstantially, they would tell me later... 
I asked, what is the normal symptoms for this? And they said, for someone like you in the shape you're in, the normal, the first symptom is usually death. I'm like, okay. Uh, Glad I didn't have that one, but it, it was very overwhelming. And then the weight of all that started to hit me of, is this it? And what's going to happen next? And I had 16 hours to go through that, and I discovered three essentials so that no matter where in life you are, if you ever get to the point where you feel overwhelmed, and it doesn't have to be physical, it can be relational, it can be physical, it can be vocational, it can be financial. If there's ever a point that there is, you just literally sense the weight of being overwhelmed, I've discovered three essentials through this 16 hours that I realized makes all the difference in the world. And if I want to overwhelm the overwhelming, all three of these have to be present. And I just want to share them with you. The first is simply, I asked people to pray. I, I went on Facebook and I shot out a couple tweets and, and uh, a couple emails. I said, guys, I don't know if you've heard, but I, I'm having to face emergency quadruple bypass open heart surgery. Will you please pray? All I can tell you is that I was overwhelmed with the response. Hundreds, if not thousands of people text me, Facebooked. It exploded through a, a network on Facebook of people just going, we are praying for you. And, and I believe 1 Peter 3.12 with all my heart, it says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. I am a physical example of what prayer will do. When I shared that number with my church of 697 and the worst is 20, I had a group of people that would come and say, we are praying for you. When the thoracic surgeon, Dr. Myung, came in to my wife and he said all four are over 99% blocked, my wife was like, how is that even possible? And he said, I have no idea. You have a thoracic surgeon tell you, I have no idea. He said, I don't know how his heart is beating right now. I cannot tell you that he will make it to the surgery, much less through the surgery. He says, you can have one artery 80% blocked, and you have a heart attack that can be fatal. He says all four of his are over 99%. I can't explain that. He said the good news, he says, I'll be in touch with the surgery. If he makes it through one bypass, that is the hurdle. That is the big one, and and we can can move from there with great uh, hope in that. And and I'm here to tell you twofold. One, I believe in the, the physical effects of prayer. I don't know how it all works. I know God is sovereign. I know God does not always answer the way we want him to answer. And I can't explain that. But when we pray, God hears it. The doctor said, I don't know how his heart's beating. I believe it was sustained because of the prayers of his people. They told me coming, going into surgery, you will be in ICU for three to four days afterwards. Then you'll be in a regular room for three to five days after that. And then you've got to hit certain markers, and if you hit those, then you can go home, and we'll start that process. I, I can tell you that the first day in ICU, they came in. I had been there for less than seven hours after, the, after I woke up, and they said, the, we, we really can't explain this, but you're going to be moved to a regular room before dinner. And I was like, 
thought I was going to be here for days. They said, you're so far past every marker to get out of ICU. There's no reason for you to be here. They moved me to a regular room. The next day before dinner, the doctor came in and said, it looks like you're going home tomorrow. And I said, okay, um, I've never had open heart surgery before. I'm willing to hang out for a few days. Because I don't want to get home and go, it, okay, it stopped. It stopped. Somebody, and they said, no, you are, you are literally where people are four weeks, five weeks. That's where you are right now. Less than two and a half days after emergency, quadruple, bypass, open heart surgery, I walked out of the hospital. And I'm telling you, the only explanation is God hearing the prayers of his people. And that's from the doctors and the PAs involved going, I've never seen this. I not forget the PA who came by the day after my open heart surgery. It looked just like the, the TV and movies where you got all the residents there and she presents. This is Mr. Kington, a 52-year-old male, emergency quadruple bypass surgery. If you look at his, you know what? Don't even look at his numbers. You will never see this ever again if you practice medicine for 50 years. He's a freaking rock star. Let's go to the next room. And she just walked away. And I was like, thanks. You know, I just, but it's a testimony to the prayers of his people. And if, if, if we will grab that reality that God hears the prayers of his people and he is sovereign, but I, I'll just, on the prayer piece, I had several friends that text me, hey, we're thinking about you. And I said, wow, thank you. But while you're thinking, go ahead and pray. Um, I appreciate the pleasant thoughts, but I need prayer right now. I need God's ears ringing with my name in it. So pray while you're thinking. There's a difference. And, and that is essential. The second essential I discovered was his truth. His truth. I asked my friends, I said, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to have open heart surgery. Will you please send me any verse that comes to your mind? I had over 70 verses that people sent. I woke up before sunrise and I watched the sunrise out my window over Kennesaw Mountain. And I just read every prayer and every verse multiple times. And those, all I can tell you is that the, the weight of what was about to happen, because I realized, and this is a very pointed reality, I realized as I sat there, I'm about to go into surgery, the most invasive surgery any human can face, and and I'm going to close my eyes, and the next face I see is going to be Heather or Jesus, and those are my options. And I can tell you, as overwhelming as that was, as I read through those prayers and I read through those 70 plus verses, the weight of that just dissipated. And I read those verses over and over. And the one that really stuck out of my mind as I, as I sat there was 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I read verses like, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I'm like, Lord, I, I need your truth at a whole new level here. And as they rolled me down the hall, Dr. Myung came in the, in the room. I had not met him before. And uh, he came in around 11 o'clock. I was supposed to go at 3 o'clock. And he says, hey, how you doing? He says, I'm Dr. Myung. How you doing? I said, I'm Ken. And uh, the real question, doctor, today is, how are you doing? Because I need you bringing your A game today. 
And he said, oh, I got my A game today. And he said, are you ready? And I said, yeah, I thought we were going at three. He said, no, I'm ready now. And I'm like, wow. I said, I thought you had three other procedures. He said, I did. Those were just warm up. This is the big event. And uh, I was like, okay. And they're wheeling me down the hall and my wife is walking with me. And she kisses me for what could be the last time. And as they take me down, I can't describe it other than this. I'm just praying, God, I want to be honest. I want to see my wife. I want to grow old. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my grandkids. I said, but God, I know that I can trust you. If I don't make it, if this is the last time I close my eyes and the next face I see is you, I'm going to be excited because I know you're going to take care of my family. I, I know I can trust you. And I, I, as they took me in and I'm laying there on the table in the OR, the verse came through my mind. It's out of, first, it's out of Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I had that thought, and I just laid there and smiled. And one of the technicians said, hey, wow, looks like everything's a go. Are you ready? And I just closed my eyes, and I said, I am. And what I can only describe, I cannot put it into words that are accurate enough, is that I had perfect peace. Where there was overwhelming circumstances, I experienced perfect peace. And I closed my eyes for what seemed like about five, five and a half minutes. It was actually about six hours. And I'm laying there and I started to wake up. Now, I don't know if you've ever been asleep, but you can tell when the light's on because it's very bright. When I woke up, I'm awake. My eyes are closed, but it's extremely bright and it's very quiet. And I realized I'm awake. And it was bright. And I I literally laid there and I started laughing because I'm like, I wonder which one it is. <laughs> and I just, it was in the quietness, I just kind of opened one eye and I looked and I'm like, and there was my wife. And I'm like, hey. and I was, I realized in that instant I was intubated still and I couldn't talk. And I'm like, oh, and she came over and kissed me on the head and they started wheeling me down to recovery and I started laughing, even being innovated because I'm like, Lord, you could have really messed with me right then. <laughs> like I could have woken up two minutes before she got there and some bearded tech hanging over me going, okay, are, are you Peter? Are you, who, who are you? And, and I just, I went to recovery, and it's his truth as I went through that and realized, you know what, this is, this is reality. And, and as I prayed through that, those bright lights, a couple weeks later, I was reviewing over some other verses. And this is how real I think God wants to be with us. As I read in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it's, it's another passage about anxiety, and I've blown through it before, and as I'm sitting there, I'm in recovery. It's been about a month, and I was doing very well. I was doing my uh, exercise, and I'm feeling really good, but as I read this verse, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, and at that moment, as I'm reading this verse, God took me mentally back to laying on that bed, being rolled into the OR. And he just kind of began to whisper in my heart, Ken, that's, that's what you were doing. You were praying and petitioning. 
When you said, I want to see my family, that's what petitioning is. And it says, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and I looked at thanksgiving, and God just whispers in my heart, Ken, when you said, I want to see them, but I trust you, that, that was thanksgiving. And I was like, wow. And then I read the next part of the verse, and it says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. And I had the vast reality, Lord, that was it. It was a peace that transcends what I can tell you. It was complete and total. And then as I read the next verse, and I can get through it now, I couldn't that day, I just started to weep. It says, the peace that transcends understanding will guard your heart. And your mind in Christ Jesus. And it was like God was saying, I had your heart. I've got this. And I was just, I was just so moved by how intimate God wants to be through his word. And how amazing he is. And in transition, prayer is essential. His truth is essential. But the way he uses people is that third essential. Because as, as Rhonda shared, it's, are we letting God use us that way? I walked out of a doctor's appointment several weeks after, and uh, God just across my path. There's a friend of mine who's a doctor that was the head of our couples class when we first got married 20 years ago. He's retired. He's walking down the hall, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. His name's Ken as well. I said, Ken, how are you doing? He's like, great. He says, man, I've been praying for you. And I said, I can tell. And I told him about the details, and, and God just brought him at that moment. And he said, Ken, I, I want to encourage you on a couple pieces. One, he says, in recovery, here's what's going to happen. And he described some of the physical parts. And I said, you're right. And he said, but, and it was the day that I read that verse, well, guards your heart and mind. And he says, Ken, you're going to deal with some mentally and emotionally as well. And you need to be ready for that. And you need to give yourself a break and give you time. And I said, okay. And he said, no, I'm serious. He says, what you just went through, the procedure did not exist 10 years ago. We would be at your funeral right now. And he said, that's going to hit you. And and that's something you're going to have to pray and let God heal. And I'm like, okay, and sure enough, I I have, I've dealt with that. That person at the perfect time, I want to be that now because there's a verse in in Galatians 6, 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. We were meant to need him and need each other. That's the way he designed us. And the question I have is during those times of overwhelming, am I allowing people around me to be used by God in my life. Two incredible examples. Uh, one was my brother came up from Savannah and stayed with me. And I'll never forget the first day after surgery. They tell you the first day is the worst day. And I will attest to that. You don't have to go through it to know it. It's true. I had the hiccups on that first day. Which is not a big deal unless you have your chest wired together. And it is just trust me, it's not fun. And... Uh, it, it was just a hard day, and my dear brother, the best man at my wedding, he sat there, and he would discern when I wanted and needed somebody to come in and just say, hey, and when I needed to just be left alone, and he managed that all day long. The night before, 
my friend Dan, I have a good buddy Dan, we meet once a week for lunch. And he came in and my wife was just, I mean, you can imagine if you're the spouse of someone in that and the emergency part of it, she's like, I've got to go home. I've got to take care of the kids. I've, I've got to. And she just needed time to process. And at that moment, Dan walked in. She goes, Dan, is there any way you can sit here for, for an hour and a half? And he goes, I'm here the rest of the night. Seventh game of the World Series is tonight. I got some snacks. We're going to watch the game. You go home, get some sleep. And I'm like, okay. And we sat there. And as we sat there, he said, hey, um, do you want to grab a bite? And I say, I need something, but it's got to be before midnight. Just that time, this very wonderful nurse walks in and she goes, hey, I need to prep him for surgery. And Dan was like, oh, I'm going to go grab some sandwiches. I'll be back. Now, I will say this, the most painful part of open heart surgery is not the incision and the chest part. It's not where they have to cut your leg and harvest a vein. The most painful part is the night before the surgery. And this very professional, wonderful nurse, large Jamaican black woman named Joy came in and she, Dan left and Joy said, hey, I have to prep you for surgery. I said, okay. And she said, um, here's what we're going to do. And I'll shave, save you the details. But she shaved my body from here to my toes. I won't go into detail. I'll just say if your name is Joy and you introduce yourself to me and I go like this, it's, it's involuntary. Okay, I, I can't help it. And the greatest part is after I was shaved, she says, now you need, to, you need to do this antibacterial special soap and take a shower. And I'm just like, are you serious? And so I have to shower. And now I'm freezing and I'm shaved. And I thought, you know, if I was ever going to be a bodybuilder or an Olympic swimmer, now's the time. And I just, and I get back in, I get my gown back on. I'm laying in bed and I'm literally shivering. And my buddy Dan came back in and Joy said, no, we're good. Come on in. And I'm shaking, and the game's about to start, and he's like, hey, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, and he goes, well, that's weird. And I was like, what's weird? And he said, I thought joy came in the morning. And I was like, <laughs> I, said, I said, dude, you've been waiting an hour and a half for that line, haven't you? And he goes, pretty much. And I said, you see, God just knew I needed that. I needed that. I needed my friend. I needed that somebody who, who gets me to be able to be there and be in that moment. And God knows that about us. And he wants to not only be that, but use us because he wants us to be able to experience care. And, and I've got to share this very quickly, but the first night was brutal. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital, but the worst place to rest is in a hospital. And I ended up giving up. After midnight, I just counted. Between midnight to 7 o'clock, 14 people came into my room. And I just gave up. And the next day, a very great guy uh, was the nurse that day. And that evening, he's like, hey, there's a, they got to go through their whole chart. And the last, I know they have to check it all. Is, is there anything else we can do for you, get for you? And I just said, Dan, I said, uh, the, the nurse's name was Dan. So I said, Dan, how would you like to be my favorite nurse of all time? And he's like, okay. And I said, he said, what, what can I get you? And I said, I got zero sleep last night. I slept for 20 minutes three times. I said, is there any way to get everybody who has to come in and do anything to me, at me, or around me to come in now so I can sleep for two hours? That's all I want, two hours. And he was like, yeah. 
And he got everybody to come in. 20 minutes later, he said, hey, do you want the light on or off? And I said, off would be great. He turned it off. Three hours later, I woke up and he came and he said, hey, we're going to do a few more things. We're going to be in and out in 10 minutes. And they did it. And I slept for three more hours the next morning. He said, Are you, how are you doing? I said, I'm euphoric because you let me sleep. And see, Dan went from providing care to caring. Big difference. I was no longer a patient. I was kin that needed sleep. It's my wife who sat next to me in the exit class. And they're going over all the details and the regimen I would have to do when I got home. And I'm listening and I'm writing it down. And the lady doing the class with about 10 people, she looks over at me. She goes, are are you okay? And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just getting the details. She said, no, not you, her. And my wife is next to me on the verge of tears. And I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, nothing. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And okay. So we start writing again. Five minutes later, she stops. She goes, are you, are you sure you're okay? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. And she goes, no, her. And she's on the verge of tears. Now, I don't know how you are. I'm a type, I'm a recovering type A personality. But when I hear the, the word empathetic, all I hear is pathetic. Okay, that's, that's all my mind hears. And God just nailed me in the head as I sat there and looked at my wife. And she was feeling everything that I was about to have to do for the next several months. And she was feeling it with me. And it was like God was saying, this is what, this is what caring looks like. She's feeling it before you feel it. And I was like, wow. And I'll never forget that. The essentials are those. And, and Jesus even put it this way. In Matthew 25, I know it's Jesus because if you look at the homiletics and the hermeneutics, and it's in red. So I know it's Jesus. And he said, and the king will reply to them, I assure that when you have done this for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you have done it for me. Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm here. And when you choose to let me use you, I'm going to use you in a mighty way. I want to wrap with a challenge. If you're overwhelmed right now, I want to encourage you to take one of those essentials because all three are essential. The truth, prayer, and people. The truth, this year I've made a commitment after that experience. I said, God, you know what? And I challenged the folks at my church to take one of these three. Number one, read a chapter every day. Read a chapter every day. Just get the truth in there and just say, okay, Lord, what verse do you want to teach me through this? Or memorize one verse a week. Take a verse that applies to whatever you're going through. Write it down. Say it out loud three times, three times a day. And by the end of the week, it'll be memorized. Or here's the radical one. I decided that this year, and I've done it, I think, all but maybe one or two days. I'm going to read my Bible before I turn anything electronic on, before I turn on my phone, before I turn on the TV, before I turn on the radio, before I turn on anything, I'm reading my Bible. And it has been radical in my mind moving forward because I want the first information in my brain to be the truth. Secondly, the prayer part. I would encourage you to take this concept. Tweet God. Did you know you can tweet God? Did you know that? You can. It's truth, start with the truth, and then ask yourself the question, what am I worried about right now? 
What am I worried about? And write that down. Because God cares about that. What am I excited about? What is coming up right now, today, this week, that I'm excited about? And write a couple of those down and then end with thanks. God, thank you for this. Tweet. And I guarantee if I'll write that down, something will happen. God will do something in each of those areas that week. And we'll write it down. He'll give power where we don't have it, perspective or peace in those areas. And then finally, ask the question, am I plugged in? Am I caring about people and or am I letting them care about me? And it may be as simple as showing up on Sunday and looking for a need around and saying, I need to get plugged in there. There's plenty of opportunities going on. So whichever it is, take the time because those essentials will overwhelm the overwhelming. Let me pray for us. God, thank you. Thank you for your truth. But I thank you most of all for your presence. Lord, just as you were creator and we see the evidence of that. And that Jesus came and literally became the word become flesh. And we, we see the, the recording of Jesus. That same power that raised him from the dead in your Holy Spirit, the counselor lives in us when we invite you in our lives. Help us to interact and depend on you more clearly. So Lord, we just ask you now, even as we sing this last song, that you would just solidify and show us through that Holy Spirit, which of these essentials do we need to to edify or bolster in our lives? And it really is only through the precious gift of Jesus we can pray. Amen.